Hey guys, I'm Esther, owner of Sarah Design. And I'm Jen, owner of Hello June Creative. Welcome to Better, the brand designer podcast. We're all about broadcasting conversations that support our design community and covering industry secrets and offering actionable advice. Just remember, the only designer you need to be better than is the one you were yesterday. Hi, friends. Welcome back to Better the Brand Designer podcast. We are so happy to be here with you today and be chatting about this topic that is so near and dear to my heart, how to make an impact in the world as a designer. It's something that I am constantly thinking about. I'm constantly thinking about how to make an impact in the world as an individual, as a human, but as a designer in my work, it's really, really such a big thing for me. So I'm excited to talk about that and get some of Jen's thoughts and just share with you guys what changing the world through your business can look like in what I've done, what Jen has done, and hopefully open up more conversation. Yes. I'm super, super excited about this topic. This was a brainchild of Esther and like it's topics like these where I'm just... I mean, I'm always glad that you're my co-host because I love you and you're amazing. But like, I just, I love your perspective. I love that this is your positioning and this is the type of client that you attract to you and that you love to work with. So I'm just excited to hear some of your wisdom, get some new ideas for myself. And I also just wanted to start out with with this for you guys that this is in no way like a list of things that you should do if you're not doing these things. Like we want this to feel more like an inspiration for kind of like a little menu of items that you can choose from here and there to start implementing in your business, to try things out. Um, I think that if everyone selected like one of these things, there would be so much more like world change and impact happening. So I'm just really excited to get into this topic. Yeah. Oh, I love all of that. And I'm so happy to be your co-host too. And I feel like we have such good, unique perspectives on this and I agree with all of that. We have a lot to jump into, but before we do, our intro question for today is what is the best professional development book that you have ever read? Okay, so it's a tie for me. The first one that comes to mind is Profit First by Mike Michalowicz. And this is a book that I feel changed the way that I look at my business finances, but I feel like it also changed the way that I run my business, the way that like my perspective on compensating myself as the owner of my business, understanding the separation between myself as an entity and my business as an entity and I don't know. It just like, it really opened my eyes into not only understanding like kind of the nitty gritty of business accounting and finances, which sounds so boring, but the book is such an easy read. And, um, I started paying myself more after (laughs) I read profit first. Basically the bottom line of the book is that you should pay yourself first. You should prioritize compensating yourself as the owner of your business and also set aside, um, a specific percentage of your gross revenue for taxes, for operating expenses, and then also to set aside a tiny bit for profit and to prioritize that first rather than doing income minus expenses equals profit. Income minus profit to Mike equals expenses. So that was just a really like huge book for me in terms of like developing myself as a professional. And then the second book that I absolutely love and recommend to anyone who wants to read it is Company of One. This one is by Paul Jarvis. This book gave me permission to stay small, to not hire anyone right now. And it is it is applicable to a business of any size, even if you're a business that has 100,000 full-time employees, the principles that Paul talks about in this book are of simplicity, of streamlining, of process is so applicable. So it's, it's less of don't hire anyone ever and more how can businesses operate as a, a company of one philosophy, if that makes any sense at all. It does. And oh my goodness, I feel like I need to read both of these. I have heard the names of both of them. I think you had maybe told me about Company of One before. And I feel like these would be so transformational for business, especially the Company of One where we 
are often like shown that, okay, you need to like grow and scale and become an agency. But at the end of the day, you don't have to, like you can be running your business by yourself and still being really profitable. And then that's where that second book comes in, The Profit First. I feel like that's something that I've been working on a lot of just paying myself and making sure that my finances are really, really strong. Like clean. clean finances, like you understand where everything is. Like, yes. I don't know. I just like, I was afraid to touch my finances. Like, I never went into my QuickBooks. Like I did everything. I feel like the quote unquote wrong way where like, I just felt so disempowered as an individual to look at my finances. And yeah. yet I'm the one over here also making sales decisions and pricing decisions and decisions on where to invest in courses or education or software. And it's like, okay, I can't have one without the other. Like I cannot right. be charging money and spending money if I don't feel comfortable going and looking at, at at the finance side of things. And oh, it just, it feels so clean. Right. And Jen, actually, you were one of the inspirations for me at the beginning of this year. I started paying myself and I remember asking you a ton of questions about it because the previous year, which was my first year in business, I actually didn't have a business bank account. So all of the money went to me. So- okay. Although I was technically paying myself, I was getting a hundred percent where I wasn't then like having the savings to set up and like really structure myself moving forward for, okay, I have this much to invest in myself. It felt like I was spending it from Esther's bank account because that's what it was before. Yeah. It's, it's really, it's cool to think about our businesses as separate entities to make sure that they are in and of themselves are financially healthy. Like you can have financial health as an individual with, you know, paying down debt and living beneath your means and stuff like that. But I didn't really know what that meant for my business. And so, yeah, that book was awesome. The best professional book that I read was Hey Whipple Squeeze This by Luke Sullivan. I was actually given it to me by my very first boss when I worked in advertising. And he was just, my boss was trying to share with me some wisdom from advertising gods, which was one of them was Luke. Um, It taught me about how sometimes bad ads can work. Like all publicity is good publicity kind of thing. Why some really great ads fail, how to balance the creative work and selling tactics and really just how like people need to be communicated to. So Although I don't work in the advertising space anymore, I'm now designing brands and websites. I'm still doing marketing, right? Like you're still trying to connect with an audience and really have those sales tactics in the back of your mind. And so the book was just really, really beneficial in teaching me a lot of that. Also, there are some really good anecdotes of work that he had done in the past and his learnings from them. And although the book is old, it's like it was published in, I think, the late 90s, like 1998 or something. It's still very relative. And it's interesting how you can then see, I've read it again in the last year, how it's changed. The industry has changed, how marketing has changed. It's so, so interesting. I need to pick up a copy of this because I feel like this is the second time you've mentioned this on the podcast. And I mean, I've literally mentioned the other books like forever. I take book recommendations so seriously. And a lot of the books that I read come from people that I really trust. And like, this sounds amazing because I don't always just want to be reading books about branding. Like I think taking advice from people who are in like parallel industries or similar industries, like especially when you're talking about like sales and positioning and competition and stuff like that, all of that is super, super relevant. Yeah, definitely read it. It's funny too. I mean, the title alone. I mean, how can yes. I not read that? <laughs> yeah. Well, I hope that you guys have liked these recommendations. Uh, we'll link them in the show notes as well so that you can go buy them or you can check them out from the library to save some paper because Yay. we're talking about impacting the world. Yes. <laughs> I love that. And if any of you guys have great professional development books that you have read that have changed your life and you cannot stop sharing about them, go and make a thread in the Facebook group. Maybe we'll start one. Go and contribute to that. Um, I need to get more books. I need to continue reading. I've been in a little bit of a reading slump recently and I need to get kind of back into it. So, Well, you know what, for me, 
I love reading, but I feel like I need a variety of books to read. So I will actually cycle through different topics or different categories. So I'll do a professional development one. I'll do something related to like mind health, kind of just faith systems, that kind of thing, wellness. Um, And then I will read like trash fiction. My favorite (laughs) is like what is the word? Like, this sounds awful, but I, I'm just going to, whatever, infidelity, like mysteries. Yeah. <laughs> they're, it's, yeah. they're the best. Um, and then like actual like rom-coms. And then I'll like go backwards and do the thing, same thing again. Yeah. I feel like I, I kind of have a couple books going at a time. Like I actually am really into fantasy novels. Like I am reading the Wheel of Time series right now. And it is, I think a 14 book series. Each book is like a brick, like really, really big. Amazon actually just came out with a TV show for it. Nobody spoil me because I have not finished book 14 yet. I am on book number four. So we are slowly getting there. But my husband got me into that. Uh, It's just such a great series. But um, I also like to have a little bit of a balance of reading a book about, you know, spirituality and then reading a book about professional development. A lot of the time I'll do audiobooks for Mm -hmm. nonfiction and then like physical books for fiction. And my Kindle is packed up in my pod right now, my like packing pod, because all our stuff is, is in the pod. I feel like 90% of my life is in the pod and I constantly am referencing items that I own where I'm like, oh, it'd be great if I had this, but it's in the pod. And it's like not one that you can go to. It's one that they have to ship to you. So it's like nothing is coming out of that pod anytime soon. When I was transitioning from my full-time agency job to running my own studio, I knew that I really needed help. I wanted my business to succeed financially, but I wasn't sure how to even start. I didn't know how to price or structure my offerings, navigate sales calls, and I definitely did not know how profitability and peacefulness could coincide. I signed up for Design Biz Mastery, a group mastermind led by Morgan Rapp, at the very start of starting my business, and it set the tone for me from the start. I learned how to price by value and how to be confident on sales calls. Her coaching, which is backed by 10 years of experience running her own studio, made me feel that anything was possible and that I could structure my business the way that I really wanted to. Design Biz Mastery is built for designers ready to cut the noise and start to scale to six figures and beyond. The key? Powerfully productizing, pricing, and positioning their services using a blend of intensive style offers to create a consistent client pipeline, boost revenue with profitable cash-injecting offers, and cultivating sustainable personal confidence and the peace that they crave. Building a wildly profitable and sustainable design business that supports your lifestyle doesn't have to be a pipe dream. Visit dbm.morganwrap.com backslash better. Wrap is spelled R-A-P-P. To learn more about Design Biz Mastery and also receive access to a free private training about the three-part framework to peacefully scale your design business towards six figures on part-time hours. Well, I'm excited about our conversation today to talk about how to make an impact in the world as a designer. I think that going off of our intro question, it's all about continuing to learn and doing research and really getting this knowledge of what is out there, what's possible, what challenges there are in the world and how to really combat that. But I am excited because Every day I'm learning something new about how my impact today can affect the future. I'm curious, Jen, what changing the world in business means for you. This is such a great question. And my marketing consultant actually came to me with a similar question when we first started working together. Because I was talking about wanting to make an impact in those around me and wanting to impact the world in, you know, in maybe a small way. And she could tell that I was kind of like tamping down my potential influence or impact, not in like an influencer way, but she was like, Jen, I'm noticing you use the words like small or like, oh, well, that's not really that impactful because I don't have a specific industry niche. Like I, I was saying, well, I don't really work with businesses that I feel like are changing the world. And she was like, Jen, like, listen to yourself. Like, no, like 
every single opportunity that you have to work with any type of client, regardless of industry, regardless of the size of the company, that's an opportunity for you to create global impact through helping that person start their company. Like I was like, oh, well, I work with fine artists. I mean, I guess art, like fine art isn't really like changing the world. She's like, oh, I'm going to challenge that because like that custom piece of art that that person creates for someone's dream office, that person could come into work every day and look at that piece of custom art and get so inspired to do an amazing job at their job, to be a great member of their family, to go and be kind to a stranger on the street. Like maybe it's like more emotional. And I was like, okay, wow, that is such a good perspective. And like, I shouldn't think about my business. Like, oh, like I don't, I don't like impact the world, but like, I feel like kind of, I, I kind of do now, you know, through her telling me that. And like, it just was really motivational for me knowing that like, like interior designers, like fine artists, coaches, the type of industry, like these, these creative industries that I work in, like, like those people are changing the world. And by being brand designers, like we're allowing other people to live their dream and to start or continue their dream business and impact the lives of others in so many different ways. So that kind of perspective shift was really, really important for me and just something that I wanted to share on here with you guys. I love that, Jen, because you really are changing people's hearts, like allowing them to live a life that they want to live by just being that conduit, right? Like you are the one who designs and then they can then live the lives that they have dreamed of. So I love that shift for you, especially because I know like you also, I've heard you talk about things in that way too, where you're just like, oh, I'm just like designing for luxury brands or designing for like other things that are not like physical impact on the world necessarily, but the relational impact is there. And it's interesting to hear you say that too, because my business I feel like is on the other side of that, where although I love like the community aspect and the lifestyle aspect, I tend to feel like changing the world for me is like reducing the way that I impact the climate or like things like that. You know what I mean? Like sustainability and regeneration. And so we have such unique sides of this spectrum, but at the end of the day, we both are doing incredible things. And I think that any listener out there, you can take a look back into your business and say like, where, how am I touching somebody else's life? And what do I actually feel like I need to do to impact the world in the way that I feel like is valuable for my life and what my purpose is? I love that so much. And that's just two different perspectives coming together. And like, I mean, together, we are both creating more impact in different ways in the world, you know, by coming and doing this podcast. And like, maybe one person will listen to this, hopefully more than one. I mean, that was what Giselle and I founded this podcast on is like, if one person listens to this and it changes their life for the better, that's success. And so like, we are literally changing the world right now by recording this. Yeah. And I want to also talk about how as designers, we can often think about like, okay, I have, for example, four clients. Maybe one of them is impacting their community. Maybe one of them is selling watches. Like that it can be easy for us to get bogged down on like that one who's selling watches and being like, well, my business is not doing good because... I'm just selling watches. But then you have somebody else who is a coach, a life coach, or you have somebody else who's like a photographer capturing memories. And all three of those are doing something really impactful that we can't let the one bring us down, right? Because at the end of the day, it still is business. And changing the world in your business doesn't mean that every single thing you do is impactful, but at least you start somewhere and you start realizing like where you want to live, where you want your business to live, how you want to make change even slowly. Because I think Jen said this at the beginning, it really just takes a little bit. Like if everybody did a little bit, then imagine how much better the world could be. Right. Oh, this is so good. This is just like really like bringing me up right now. I'm so excited to get into this stuff. Good. 
So I wanted to use this time to kind of share some things that I do in my own business. If you guys have followed Sarah Design at all, my mission is to create sensational, refined, and thoughtful design for businesses who are changing the world. And I know, like we just said, that can mean a lot of different things. But I love working with people who are environmentally friendly, who are working with communities who are making change like therapy, mental health, awareness, that kind of thing. That's my space that I live in. And I have a lot of different ways that I've integrated that into my design process. Because although I am just, I say just, but I am <laughs> I a <heard> it. <laughs> brand designer and website kidding. designer, it often can feel like okay, I'm just doing a brand and website design and then they get to go on and do whatever they do. But what I love about what I do is I love digging into the strategy and helping them really understand where they're coming from and be able to articulate that in the best way because they do incredible work. Like I had worked with a retired school teacher who was creating new schools and supporting schools in less fortunate communities. And she just didn't know how to communicate what she did with the world. And so by designing her brand and her website, it was me helping her to just put out her message. And to me, that was super impactful. But then on the tangible side of that, there are a lot of ways that I have sought to curb my carbon footprint and how I want to make the world a healthier place for us to live in for future generations. If I ever have children, or even if I don't for my friends' children in the future of the world, I know that oftentimes it can feel like, well, I'm just one person, but I am one person. And if every one person did something, it would be everybody. So yeah, I'm excited to hear. Yeah. Let's just start going through some of the things that I had written down. So one thing that I do that I think is really beneficial for just kind of moving money around and helping different people is I donate a percentage of my work to a cause that I'm passionate about. So you can give any percentage to a nonprofit. It could be from your net profit. It could be from your gross. It doesn't really matter. Just to be able to give a little bit. I know that Giselle donated to 1% for the planet. She was also really passionate about environmental benefits and things like that. So she did that. I do 5% of my total net income to various charities. I have two different charities that I work with. Kutoa Project, who actually was one of my previous clients. The brand for that project, guys, is it on your website? It is on my website. Okay. You have to go to her website and look at this project because it is one of my all-time favorite Sarath brands. I mean, I have a lot, but like, I love this one. I love them. (laughs) They are a mental health facility in Nairobi, Kenya, and they work with children and women. And it is really just really cool to see them impact the community and uh, provide affordable services to the local Kenyan youth. And then another charity that I contribute to is the Berwyn Public Art Initiative, which is the neighborhood that I live in. And they're constantly creating new art projects around the city and bringing the community together, children, adults, and really just showcasing art, multicultural art. It's a very diverse neighborhood. So it's really cool to see that. So those are the two that I work with. And I'm always looking for new charities to donate to because I think oftentimes I don't have necessarily the time to go volunteer with them, although I would love to. I feel like my money can at least go to help somebody else spend the time doing it or provide better services. So I do my 5% twice a year. And that is just to say like, here's what I've got. And it's really helped me to really think about everything that I'm doing is not just for me. It's not just for my own profit to grow my own business. It makes me feel better. And I think that's kind of a lot of the thing of impacting the world is like to make us ourselves feel better, if that makes sense. But yeah, I think that donating a percentage of your work can be a really great way to start to make a little bit of impact. Yeah. I I love what you said about like 
it kind of takes you outside of just yourself and your business. Cause like, I don't know about you, but when I'm working and I'm sitting with my head down, I'm talking with my clients. It, I mean, it can feel kind of lonely. It can feel kind of like, Oh, I'm kind of doing this in a little bubble. But like, when you think about like, okay, you know, the money that I'm making in this business, it's not only going to impact my family and myself, but which are the people that are like right around me, but like through donating, it, has such a larger impact than just kind of like your own little bubble. And I find that really motivating because oftentimes I will get into a headspace where I'm not grateful. I am kind of spiraling. I Maybe I'm overbooked or maybe I don't have enough projects coming in or, you know, whatever, like the season of business that I'm in. And I think like, oh man, like this sucks. Or I get really negative about it. But like, then I, I don't know, I just through donating, like your client from Nairobi, they are impacting people who live a completely different lifestyle from us. And so my point is like, when I get into those headspaces of like, oh man, like, you know, I'm really down. It's like, wait, like the lifestyle that I live right now is so like, so far beyond what so much of the world even knows from their day-to-day lives. And so like, you know, donating a percentage of, you know, my business income, and I don't do it by a percentage. We just kind of do it at the end of the year. We look at like what we both brought in over the year and then decide a number that feels good. It's just like, I don't know. It just, it kind of, it brings in that sense of gratitude for like, wait, like look at what I have built and like, look at how this can impact. Like, cause a dollar for us can mean so much more to somebody else. It helps put things in perspective and it helps just like bring gratitude back into like my daily day to day. Does any of that make sense? Yes, like it does. <laughs> it does. It just helps you feel like you've um, taken a step outside of your comfort zone. Yeah. and. It's a sacrifice, right? Of, okay, this is a chunk of money that I could spend on myself. I could keep for myself, but I am blessed with the amount that I have received. Like I'm blessed with the projects. I'm blessed with this business. So to give back in my own little way, I feel like is, it's just really empowering too, to see the impact that you can have on others. Yeah, exactly. Like, like look at this client that I was able to work with, look at how I could impact them look at how it can impact my family, but then also look how those three pieces kind of come together and I can impact someone that I don't even know in potentially a different country, potentially in our own country. I love that you donate to a local organization for your community. And I feel like that's just not something that I ever have felt like I wanted to do. Not necessarily like because we've been military, I've never really felt like I belonged in my adult life to one specific community aside from I'm a military spouse and we, you know, I would support other spouses and be there for them. And in that sense, but a physical place, like a physical location, like I'm dreaming about, you know, being able to settle down in the small town of Waycross, Georgia, that our home is going to be built on that our land is in. And like, we have a church here, but to join a church and really get involved in the community and get involved in local charities that actually really impact the people of your town. Like, I just feel like that's not like something I've ever done before. And it's something I'm really, really looking forward to. So the fact that you guys have the Berwyn Art Initiative, I'm like, oh, that's so amazing. Like, I'm sure there's so many opportunities that are going to come our way when we move to Waycross. And I'm, I'm just really, really looking forward to that, to, to not only give, but to see the actual impact physically around you, like that's got to be like such an amazing feeling when you are walking around and getting inspiration. And I don't know. Yes, must feel really I agree. Good. So I love it. I would love to just talk really quickly about a charity that like we, my husband and I have donated to in the past in case anyone is looking for a charity that they would like to donate to. Um, we've donated to Stella's Voice in the past And Stella's Voice is a, it started out as a safe home for girls. They now have safe homes for boys as well. It started out in Moldova. They're doing a lot of work in Ukraine, but it, um, it helps victims of human trafficking and it also helps keep children out of those situations. There is a really large orphan population in Moldova and some of those other countries as well. And 
they help stop the cycle of human trafficking and abuse. And they also help the victims. And um, we sponsored a child, I believe, two years ago. And it's just something that both my husband and I are really, really passionate about. And I definitely want to give again this year because they are doing a lot of work in Ukraine right now, which obviously like is hopefully going to be really impactful for the community there. So I love that. Thank you for sharing. Yeah. Yeah. Guys, definitely check that out. We'll link Stella's voice below as well. And the Katoa project. And the Katoa project. And the Berwin Art Initiative, if you want to donate to my neighborhood. Yes. (laughs) Well, it's beautiful. So I think it's worth it. (laughs) Another way that you guys could make an impact is you could offer up spaces in your time to do pro bono work or discounted rate projects for clients that potentially can't afford a fully custom thing. Um, Maybe they are a nonprofit. Maybe they are somebody who's just starting out whatever that may be, just to give back a little bit to somebody who wouldn't be able to afford your services otherwise. So a couple ways that you could do that is it could be a few hours each month. It could be a day rate. It could be a whole discounted rate project. There are a lot of ways that you could take a look at what you're able to offer energetically and then make that space for clients. Maybe you only have like two hours a month. That's something, you know, that's something to be able to help somebody create a couple social media posts or schedule stuff out just to feel like you're able to help somebody who may be struggling. Maybe they're really exhausted. And I know they are always so appreciative of that because it's expensive to work with a designer. We've talked about pricing and all of that. Like (laughs) it's expensive and It's not something that everybody can afford. So for me, I do every quarter, I have one space for a discounted rate project. I don't offer pro bono work fully. I always feel like for me personally, I want people to feel very invested in what they're doing. And by spending a little bit of money, they feel more invested. That's not to say pro bono work is wrong. I have done that in the past and I have loved it too. I just love working with them for the full breadth of a project to see a full brand come to life or a full website. So what I do is yeah, just take off a discount on my prices. Sometimes that's 50% of my traditional prices. Sometimes it's a little more. I just kind of see where they're at in their business and what their budget is. And if that's something I can energetically spend my time doing. And I want to emphasize the energy too, because if you're say, not... I love that you're saying energetically because I feel like everyone, well, maybe not everyone, but you and I have probably made that mistake in the past of yes. offering something beyond what you can give energetically. And that's just not helpful to you or the client. Yeah. Definitely make sure that the person who you are giving a discounted rate project to is somebody that, or a business that you really feel passionate about yourself because if you don't and you're just trying to do it to check off the box of helping somebody out to fill your own void of like what I need to do, you're not going to go into it in the best mindset and there you're going to resent it. So take a look at your energy, take a look at your time schedule and what you can do. Like I said, if it's something small, do you do anything like this, Jen? Yeah. So I actually, this past Sunday, I have been going to kind of like a newer church just because like we're kind of getting settled back into Florida and we're going to be moving when our house is done, but we're not sure like when that's going to be. So I was like, you know what? Let me just start going somewhere. I didn't even know like if the pastor even knew who I was. I've been kind of, um, I've been volunteering in the the nursery for the two-year-old's room just because that's where Ryder is. So I'll go to the first service, then I'll volunteer in the um, the nursery for the second service. And the pastor, as I was walking out um, with Ryder, he was like, hey, like you're Jen, right? I heard that you do web design. And I was like, oh, wow, really? I guess the um, the coordinator for the nursery had like been chatting with him or something. And at first I was like, oh no, I, I like the, my heart just like kind of sank a little bit because I am really busy right now. And I was like, oh no, I hope they're not like I'm going to have to like quote and I don't know, like I, I, I just had this like little reaction that like I didn't really like. I was like, I should be excited about someone approaching me for like helping with web design, you know? So if you guys are feeling that way, that's okay. But he was like, hey, yeah, we have a whole company that handles our website. 
But because you're a new, a newer person to our church, we were hoping that you could just kind of like, and you're also a web designer, you could just kind of look over it and tell us like if you feel like anything is missing or if anything is confusing or oh, if there's something cool. that's like not on there that like information that you wanted to know. And I was like, oh my goodness, I would love to do that. Like, I was like, I can even record like a screen recording for you. I don't know if he knew what Loom was, but he was like, really? Like that would mean so much to us if just to have your eyes on it, not only as a web designer, but like as a member of our community, I was like, oh my goodness. Like that's really cool. Isn't that great? So like, I don't have a lot of hours in the day to do computer work, but I am more than happy to do like an audit or do consultation or to talk with people or do a phone call or something. Like I just, it's just so funny where I like originally, like my heart was sinking. I was like, oh, I don't have the time to like do anything extra. But like, it was, it wasn't even anything intense. It was like, wait, I should like, be excited about this opportunity. I am excited to do it. So it looks like a little Loom video, but no, that's a great, that's a great tip for somebody who's looking for something that they want to spend their time helping out other people, but like doing a quick audit, you could say like, I do a 15 minute audit for free. Just like that. Also, if we talk about like funneling sales, that's a great potential (laughs) sale. If you give everybody a free 15 minute audit on what they're doing. That is one of the things that I recommend to my one-to-one mentorship students. When we're talking about lead generation, um, obviously like you don't want to just offer a 15 minute audit to everyone in a Facebook group, because then you'll be spending all your time doing that, but it can be a really useful and valuable tool to, to talk with people. And one other point here as well, I haven't really talked about this a ton, but I am going to be putting out a new offer for designers that's going to be starting in January of next year. Um, more details to come. But I have been thinking about doing a scholarship for one member of this future program. It's going to be a really, really small group, intimate program. I've been thinking about either doing like a discounted rate or a complete scholarship for one of the members of the community and obviously keeping that confidential for that member, but just making sure that like, I mean, coaching can be so expensive. I mean, for a reason, because like you're getting a lot of like one-on-one time with somebody and you're, I mean, it's the best investment I've ever made in my business, but like we don't know everyone's financial situation. And even if they have a thriving design business, like coaching just might not be something that fits in with their family's financial plan. And like, I would love to make it so that someone who would have had to say no can say yes. And so I don't know what that's going to look like, but I want to call it like a scholarship and have like an application system and, um, yeah, that's that. just been something I've been thinking about. And I'm excited to hear more about it in the future. Yes, yeah. Stay tuned. <laughs> Stay tuned. So another way that you could make your impact is to direct your clients to sustainable and ecological sites to design their printed materials and their packaging. So once you're finished with all of their brand design, if they're ordering business cards or if they're ordering signage, or thank you cards, things like that, taking the time to research and look for print companies that have the global impact in mind. So for example, PS Print, they offer the option to use recycled paper, soy-based ink. And I also know No Issue is very eco-friendly. That's one of my favorites. Oh, that's so cool. I've worked with them before and I didn't know. I didn't know any of this stuff. So this is awesome. Yeah. So no no issue is very eco-friendly. They're sustainable. Everything that they do, especially like they have a lot of different types of it too, which is really cool. So you could have different types of inks, different types of papers and different levels of recycling. And I know one of my clients that I'm working with right now, she really wants to be really intentional with the products that she's using when she's packaging her goodies because she's a baker. And one of the things we have talked about is sometimes it's hard to make everything eco-friendly, but we've settled on this like, okay, if we can do it and it is affordable, let's do it. If there's a little bit that we can't do, like we can't make the backing of a sticker perfectly eco-friendly without setting up the wazoo. So like that's there is okay. Just kind of like figuring out like where is okay, where where do we feel like we can up-level a little bit and do a better job and be 
recycling things and keeping them in motion. And that has been really, really cool to work with her and partner with her and see where that goes. Because it can be a burden to do everything, quote unquote, perfectly, but at least try to start somewhere. So I love PS Print and No Issue. So I'll link those below too that you can take a look at. There's a lot of them out there. And this is definitely growing as people start to be more aware of their impact. So yeah. 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 The whole printing world is, you know, it's something that I don't even feel like I fully understand because you think like, oh, paper, you can recycle it. But there are different levels there's levels to this game, you know, like there are different oh, yeah. levels of like paper, like recyclability. And I know like composting has become very popular. I actually started composting in um, our family's garden, which it has I been a that. very, yeah, it's been a really interesting thing to look into because I didn't know you can compost like paper bags. Like I didn't know you could compost yeah. paper towels, but I will say Regular like bleached paper towels are the like last thing to decompose. Like I like yes. I will put like eggshells and like vegetable clippings in there, and like in a couple of days, like I can't even find them anymore. But then like it's all like white or will they turn brown? But like the paper towels, they just really don't break down. Yeah. So like I was just they thinking about that time. with paper because like you think like, oh, paper, you can just recycle it all. But like there are different, definitely different levels. And like Esther said, you can kind of do some research and especially yeah. if that is important to your client or or maybe even if it's not important to your client, they might not even know that that's an option. And so you can say, hey, in case you're curious about this, here are some different paper stocks that have high you know, recyclability ratings. I literally just invented that, but I'm sure there's an actual word for it. Um, We can help influence our clients and help, I mean, bring value to a project by like, Hey, I don't even know if this is on your radar, but this is something that I like to do in my business and something that I wanted to send your way in case you're curious, you know, like that could be a decision where it's like, oh, of course I want to go the more sustainable route. I didn't even know that was an option. So yeah. Cause some clients there, it's not top of mind. They, they don't care. They just want something. I'm very lucky that my newest client, she does really care. But in the past, I have, when clients ask for recommendations, I do send them those eco-friendly options first and then say, also, here's another one that is more affordable. For example, Vistaprint is not very eco-friendly, but they are very affordable. So if you wanted to work with them, that's okay. It's not on me to pressure anybody to go the eco-friendly route, although I really believe in it. Um, I just but like to... you're laying out all the options yes. so that they can make an informed decision that aligns with their values. Yeah. And- but going back to the composting, I also compost for my garden and I don't put a lot of paper in there actually because so much of the paper I get in the mail is not okay. So yeah. you have like a lot of that glossy paper that will not decompose. Like right. that is, it has so many chemicals in it. Wow. And even some of the like newspapers tends to be okay, but there have been like the advertisement papers that yeah, I Yeah, those are like glossy and they're there, more glossy. So I yeah. don't put them in there because I did put one in once and it's still in there. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> like, it's like, it's it. so funny to see like what is actually, I mean, you would think a paper towel would be fine, but like they are still going strong in that compost pile right now. Um, Here's my little shtick about paper towels because we're talking about them. I actually don't use paper towels anymore. I hate paper towels because they are so bad for the environment. They cut down so many trees. Uh, We you're constantly like ripping off a new one, right? So like they get wasted easily. So I have started using the Swiss uh, Swiss dish cloths. Swedish dishcloths. Yeah, Swedish. Yeah, I got those in a box. In a, I got those in a box box one time, and they are like really cool. Yeah, I love them, and I know they're not like revolutionary. They have been around forever. We just don't use them that much in the United States because the U.S. is probably the most terrible country for waste. But they're great. And so we don't use paper towels or napkins here. We have like everything that's going to be reusable. You just wash them out. Um, so that's just an option. I mean, it's not Esther design related. But. really lives her values, guys. Like she's not just talking the talk. I have seen her house. She is truly walking the walk and I've seen her garden. And we're trying. We're yes. trying our best every yes. day. It's a give and take. <laughs> yeah. One thing that like in my home I'm trying to be better at is 
remembering to take my recyclable or reusable bags to the grocery store. Ooh, yeah. Because I have so many and I do most of the time use them. But then when I forget, happens to be the one time that I get like a massive grocery run and they give me so many plastic bags. So I save those bags and I reuse them, but I'm like, ugh. I know. I feel like with the reusable bags, I usually go to Aldi and they like don't have bags or you like have to buy like paper bags, which I love. Um, But like every single time I go, I empty my bags and then I forget to put them in my car. I, I must be lazy or something because yeah, I like, that's don't me too. put them back. And then they're just in a pile at my house. And I, I, I use the paper bags, but they still like, I would rather not consume right. if I don't have to. So uh, another thing that kind of ties on to this past point is to do the research to find what types of companies reduce their carbon footprint. So this could be shipping companies. It could even be like software companies because there's lots of servers in the warehouses. And so each time, do you actually know that each time you load a web page, it impacts your carbon footprint? No. I did yes. not. I don't remember the exact amount. And it's hard because that's kind of what we do and I've chosen to ignore that fact because Me it just sitting is. there like refreshing my email. Like. Yes. <laughs> um, but that is, that is a thing. One wow. thing that I have been learning a lot about recently is circular design. So it's a regenerative approach to business. And the approach for circular design is thinking about and exploring new ways to create sustainable, resilient, long-lasting value that's going to be reborn after it's used. So no matter what you're doing, making sure that it can go back into the environment and be utilized again in whatever means. There is a whole design guide for circular design, and I will link it below. It's the circulardesignguide.com. And it's really just talking about how to be an innovator, how to think big, and how to make sure that things are continually regenerating. It's just like a new mindset to a design approach, which is basically the whole thing that we're talking about today is like, how do you restore the world? How do you continue to be innovative, but also make sure that you are not putting trash into the world? I'm relatively new to the concept of design thinking. Um, but when you put this in here, I was, I don't remember where I, I found it, but like it's design is everywhere. It's not just graphic design or digital design. Like design can be a philosophy or a perspective that you have on something. And I just think that is so cool. So I'm really excited to check out um, circular design. Yes, there are a lot of different methods that this website itself lays out on product journeys, just even like building teams, like how to really think about that. The idea here is what if we just redesign everything? What if we redesign the systems (laughs) that we live in? My dream, whenever I see like, well, not just bad design out in the world, but like a website that doesn't work and like function the proper proper way or seeing like UX um, in real life where it's like, wait, this door does not work in the way that like is the most optimal. I relate. I relate. Yeah. I think we're getting there. Like we're constantly evolving and growing, but it's really interesting to think about. So take a look at that. There's a lot to be said. We could have a whole discussion on it. Another thing that I am very passionate about is teaching your clients the importance of using multicultural, size-inclusive LGBTQ photography and just overall promoting diversity through your photography. So whether your client is doing a photo shoot themselves, or they are looking for stock photography, there are ways to teach them in kind ways, not just saying like, oh, you're bad at what you do because you don't use diverse images. But how about we think about hiring X model or this like other, including these types of poses or these types of clothing bodies. And yes, so many different things to think about. I have a blog post on Sarah's design on how to find BIPOC and LGBTQ photography. And I have my top five stock photo sites. So I'll link that blog post below. But really, it's just continuing to open up the conversation of like, what's going to be representative of the world that we live in now? And how can we make people feel like they're included? Because at the end of the day, design and marketing is all about making people feel like they are part of it. So if you're designing a website and I don't see myself in that website, then I'm not going to connect to it. I'm not going to want to purchase 
a service or a product because it doesn't relate to me. Yes. I actually have a story about this. I used to work for Discovery Media. I did social media graphics for their one of their podcasts. And this is like a longtime retainer of mine. We used Getty Images as our image source. And they had a subscription, like a corporate subscription to Getty. Getty is a great company. And I'm not saying anything negative about them. But it's like user-generated content. So people would be able to upload. Photographers could upload and post their images on Getty. When I would use like search terms, it was like science content. So, you know, sometimes there was stuff about psychology or the way the human brain worked. If there was any image that I was looking for that had a human being in it, so much like the majority of images that would come up for any search term were white. And it was just like, it was something where I was like, okay, I really want to just like not break up the grid, but like just have a little bit more representation here in some of these images and just not have like, everything looking the same because that's not an accurate representation of the actual listeners of their podcast or the actual people that would be consuming that content. And like you said, like we want the content to be relatable. We want it to be welcoming, you know, like I don't know of a single brand that like wants to feel so exclusive that it's causing people to feel like don't have a seat at the table. I mean, maybe there are brands out there that like that. Like I feel like more and more now, like people are becoming a lot more aware of that um, that stuff. And so when I would train other designers or like they would use other subcontractors, that was always in my SOPs of like, hey, prioritize images of people who have different body sizes and shapes, people who come from different backgrounds, people who have like so many different skin tones, not just to like check a box, but truly like what you said, Esther, of being representative and making people feel included. I believe now you can filter by the nationality um, of the person in the photos on Getty, which is awesome. And so that was definitely a tool that I use like later on. But yeah, there's some great sites out there. One of them off the top of my head, um, nappy.co. Yes, that is one of my favorites. That's one of the ones that I will go to super often to find BIPOC photography Yes. It's actually really like there's a hole in the stock photography world. There needs to be a lot yes. more representative photography. It's yeah. really an issue. And part of me wishes I was a photographer because I would just go around <laughs> and photograph all my friends. Yes. Um, <laughs> but like if you are a photographer or you know some, it just encourage them to take more of those photos and upload them and share them because it is really oversaturated right now. Yes. Um, mm-hmm. When I first started in the advertising world, I was working for a multicultural advertising agency and we'd have to find stock photos to create our mock-ups and things like that. And it was, oh my gosh, the biggest nightmare because yeah. even if you're using like the strongest keywords to find yeah. things, there's only a very select few and it tends to be like the same models over and over again. Or just not really high quality photography, like, like Mm -hmm. high end, high quality. Like I don't, you don't need to use the word luxury with it, but like, you know, that kind of like just photographs that tend to be like more expensive, like stuff on Stocksy and stuff like that. Like, yeah, there is a huge gap. And that was a huge struggle that I had as the designer making these graphics on this podcast. I'm like, Oh my goodness. Like where is everybody? <laughs> yes. Yeah. So definitely take the time to look at some of those sites that I have in my blog post. Continue to search. And if you guys have any sites that you particularly love, please share them with us. Yeah. Please share them with the group because I know that this is something that we are constantly looking for. Everyone is constantly looking for. So we need more. We need more resources. Yes. yes. Another thing to think about is how to improve your design for visually impaired people. So what you can do is to test your color systems. This is like very nitty gritty design work, right? Like test your color systems, the contrast, the accessibility for those who have a harder time with their eyesight. I have a tool that I use. It's called Hexnaw, H-E-X-N-A-W. And you can use that to test your colors and on top of each other. And it gives you a percentage of what how well it's going to be visible and legible and you can continue to like test as you tweak the colors too. And I'm relatively new to doing this, but it has been really 
cool for me to see, okay, I have struggled with this in the past and I didn't even realize that this is something that people need. It's huge. And this is just one way that you can help people. If I mean, if you have somebody who's coming onto your website who can't really read it, that's a sale that you've lost there. Yeah, a hundred percent. And you know what? Google cares about this, guys. Like, I mean, and other search engines as well. Like, you will get dinged on SEO if you have text that is either too small or not legible. Or I think light text on a dark background is much more difficult to read. I think I talked about this in a previous episode. And I was talking about stuff that I learned from my magazine background. We were always thinking about legibility. I mean, that was in print, but I mean, you get to be more inclusive and more SEO friendly. So why would you not want to implement that in your own website and in your clients' websites as well? That's just another value add that you can bring to the table as a designer for your client to educate them on, hey, you know, like we're going to be putting alt titles and alt descriptions and all of our imagery to make it more accessible for users who are blind or who don't have good eyesight, you know, and then all of those things also boost your SEO. So it's just like a win, win, win all around. Yes. There's a lot to do. There's a lot that we can constantly be growing and learning and bettering. And I'm sure there are many things that we've left off this list too, that we can be better at connecting with people. And if you guys have thoughts, I'd love to hear them. I hope that this list helps you just to kind of get a little taste of things that Jen and I have been implementing in our business to be that change, to make an impact as the little company of one designers that we are. Yes. (laughs) Call back. It's the smallest things that I feel like end up making the biggest difference in the world. And that's not like a quote that I came up with, but like you guys know that simplicity and ease are two really, really big values of mine. And sometimes it can seem like adding in an eco-friendly element to your business or donating or you know, going the extra mile to make sure your alt titles and tags are buttoned up. It can seem like that would take more energy than it's worth, but I can assure you like simplicity and ease absolutely can coincide with a lot of these, these pieces. And like Esther said, all it takes is just trying out one thing differently. Next time you submit a print order or the next time you launch a website or even in the next conversation that you have with a client, like a sales call or something like that. I mean, who knows? Like maybe sustainability is something that's really, really important to that client, but it just doesn't come up naturally in conversation. Maybe if you mention something like that, that could be a whole other positioning moment for you and your company, not just to benefit yourself, but to have another element of connection with that client. So I just wanted to kind of throw that out there about simplicity is that like this all can can be like, it all can be simple, you know? Yeah. And I think as you start to implement little things at a time, you don't have to do all of this all at once. If you start at the top and start to do one thing once a year, like it doesn't have to be all of this in the next year. Like if you just start small, then adding things on little will not feel like much work at all. A hundred percent. Well, thank you guys for listening to this. I just want to leave you with that. Continue questioning everything about your process. Continue learning, growing, and evolving. And just know that where you're at now is just the beginning. Like Even if you've been in business for 10 years, it's still the beginning. There's still so much farther to go. You can continue being better. You can continue bettering your business and helping other business owners to level up and think about their impact in the world. Yeah, we are in such a unique position as brand designers who are often starting with businesses either at the very beginning of their journey or who are like intentionally looking to make a change in the way that they present themselves. And so I feel like that is such a unique opportunity that I don't want you guys to miss out on because we do have positions of influence with our clients, not in a like a I'm going to like make someone do something type of way, but in a way that we're small little things that we can introduce um, or suggest to our clients can then become something that they introduce or suggest to their clients. And I feel like you truly never fully understand the impact that you have, but that's okay. Um, It's just all about, like we said, becoming better one day at a time, which is totally the title of our podcast. I love it. Always (laughs) calling back to that. I know. (laughs) 
Our inbox question today is from Joshua Hill. He asks, how can a designer convey the value of brand design to a client with numerical evidence? Can they even do it? I loved everything that you wrote. And I completely agree with everything you wrote, Esther. So I would love for you to like talk through that. But like, I, yeah, I agree. I think the answer is no. <laughs> okay. So I wrote a little thing of my notes before we recorded. Yeah. And basically my opinion is that giving concrete numbers is really not possible. It's all relative and you can never promise to a client that it's going to give them a certain percentage of growth because that's going to actually be detrimental to you if you give them a percentage and then you don't own up to that, then you could get sued or whatever. It's like Um, if you could guarantee a specific increase in finances, like wouldn't what we do cost so much more, you know? Yes, absolutely. (laughs) In our line of work, we really have to talk up the value of the consumer connection to the brand. So that's worth its weight in gold. And I think that's more beneficial to speak to potential clients about rather than the numerical evidence because we don't know the numerical evidence. So with the emotional connection that branding brings, the money is going to flow no matter what. So the exact numbers, it's all up in the air. Instead, when you're going into these types of conversations, if this is something that they bring up, you can say, well, actually, this is not something that I'm able to write down or able to know. You may receive a 100% increase. You may not, but I'm here to really help express your brand through being memorable, being trustworthy. The first impressions are always huge to really showcase your personality, to motivate people to buy, to motivate people to be better, motivate people to live the life that you are giving out in your brand. So that lifestyle impact, how are you going to connect with them there? And then expectations of what a person can expect when they purchase a service or a product. So really thinking through those types of values and expressing that to your client rather than going back to this percentage or number, because again, you would never know. Right. I feel like more so in the agency world, there might have been studies or like A-B testing or packaging design testing on like consumers, like which bottle do they go with more often? It's like, I feel like us in the boutique space, we don't have the resources, nor the time, nor are our projects priced to include that type of research. So 100%, like amen to everything you said. And just one bullet point that I wanted to throw in here in the way that I talk about the ROI to potential clients, not in a data or numerical value, but I do talk about perceived value on the side of their customers. That's one of the biggest things that I feel like brand identity mm-hmm. design impacts is... And the, I always tell them like, hey, your clients might, might not even know why they expect your pricing to be higher. I'm usually working with service-based businesses, but you can even see that like in Sephora or Target or wherever you go shopping, Walmart, you know, like you can see all of the different packages, you can probably ballpark whether or not a product is going to be in the higher range or the more budget range based on their packaging. Not always, but sometimes. And so, I mean, that's where perceived value comes in. That's something you guys can deep dive into. We'll include some resources on that. It's not something that I'm an expert in, but that is something that I think it's understandable to potential clients. And it might be a phrase or a term that they've never thought about before, but can relate to, and they definitely want to increase their perceived value of their products or services. Yes. And another thing too, is if you want to think about numerical evidence, it's something you can do after a project has gone on for potentially a year or however long you want to do. Um, Include that in your case studies or on your website as you share with future clients but it's not something you can do ahead of time. Yes, exactly. And to Jen's point, we are, I mean, Josh, I don't know what your your business is like, but for Jen and I, we don't have the money to do all the testing and the focus groups and all that. I wish we did, but maybe someday. Or maybe not. Like company one of client one. a year. I mean, like, yeah, company of one. Who knows? But like, we used to do A-B testing for the magazine that I used to intern for. I interned at Cosmo. And we did A-B testing on the covers. They would literally do focus groups of the different covers and see like which magazine would get picked up. So that was actually something that they would do during the design process, which I thought was super cool. 
But that's definitely more of like a corporate style, like agency level type of thing to do. So don't beat yourself up if you feel like you can't give someone numerical data. And if a client is on a sales call asking you and requiring you to provide that type of data to them, that to me is a red flag. And because that's not something that you can give them. You know, if they're saying, oh, well, I want to know like past clients ROI. I mean, first of all, that's confidential information to share that stuff about a past client. And second of all, like you actually can't provide that. So I've actually never had someone come and ask specifically for numbers on branding. I feel like on the web design side, it's definitely way easier to track data, especially e-commerce and traffic, but there's so much more that goes into traffic than the website design. There's SEO, there's marketing, there's paid ads. Like We're just kind of one little puzzle piece in an entire ecosystem of what someone's brand means. So I just want to throw that out there. If anyone is getting pressured by a client or potential client to provide data that you do not have, it's okay. You can calmly explain to them, hey, branding's a little bit more nebulous and I actually can't provide that information to you. Yes. I hope this is helpful for you. And I hope it gives you some things to think about as you go into your new client conversations. Okay. Well, thank you for sticking with us through this conversation. I hope that it was helpful. Again, reach out to us if you have questions or any thoughts. We'd love to hear them. And if you have any advice for us moving forward and how we can be better too, we would love to hear that. So until then, we will see you soon. Bye guys. Thanks for listening. Bye. We hope you enjoyed today's conversation. Subscribe wherever you're listening to make sure you don't miss an episode. And we'd be forever grateful if you left us a review on Apple Podcasts. We bet you've got designer friends who'd enjoy it too, so share it with them. If you'd like to submit an inbox question for us to answer on air, or you want to get in contact with us directly, email us at inbox at betterbranddesigner.com. Our Facebook community is one of the most positive, supportive, and fun groups we've ever been a part of. We'd love for you to join us. Search for Better the Brand Designer Podcast on Facebook. If you love these conversations between designer friends and would like to support us, you can find us on Patreon at patreon.com slash betterpodcast. And visit us online at betterbranddesigner.com to learn more about our podcast and snag major discounts on our favorite resources. Special thanks to our producer, John, from Wayfair Recording Co. See you guys again next week.